Let us with eagerness take our Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Before we begin, would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we come to You this morning acknowledging that You have given us many good things. Thank You for the Bibles that we hold in our laps. Thank You for the clothing that You have provided for us. Thank You for a space to come and worship You freely and to hear Your Word. But Father, we affirm that as good as those things are, we are looking for a day that is better. When You will return, You will set the world right. So we pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. Would You guide us, Holy Spirit, as we seek to understand Your Word. Guide us in this task, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know what Thanksgiving looks like at your home, but I am excited for Thanksgiving this year. I, I love the opportunity to gather with family, and it, it seems like Thanksgiving is this never-ending barrage of food. Appetizers, hors d'oeuvres, salads, and then the turkey, and potatoes, and stuffing. And all the sides and casseroles that come with it, whether it's green bean casserole or macaroni and cheese, all of that. I have fond memories of growing up, all of that seeming to be a never-ending supply. Mountains of mashed potatoes. A huge turkey. But the part that sticks out to me in my childhood recollections of Thanksgiving is after all of that has been cleared away, new plates and new forks come out. And the best part of Thanksgiving comes. Because in my family, we would not eat any pumpkin pie until Thanksgiving. I love pumpkin pie. And so for me, the best part of Thanksgiving was the unveiling of the pumpkin pie. And not just eating that first bite of pumpkin pie, but dousing that pumpkin pie with a little bit of Cool Whip. To me, that was the best part of the Thanksgiving meal. It was what I looked forward to. It was what I was eager for. And my wife can testify that even to this day, at Thanksgiving meals, the turkey and the potatoes and the sides are good. But dessert is the best. This morning, Peter wants to show us the best part of life that is yet to come for Christians. The return of Christ. We live in this world filled with good things that God gives us. But those things pale in comparison to the best part that is yet to come. Against the tempting teaching and the lascivious lifestyle of the false teachers and dealing with them in the life of the church, Peter ends this letter by lifting our eyes from the things of earth to what is coming in the future. The return of Christ will signal the arrival of a kingdom where righteousness will dwell. Until Christ returns, He expresses His patient kindness that leads us to salvation. So the encouragement of what is to come, of what we will look at in 2 Peter 3, verses 14-18, to this is an encouragement and it serves to anchor us in this present world with its false teaching and deviant living. We are given in this text the fuel to be steadfast in God's Word and God's promise until the new kingdom comes. 
So as we look at 2 Peter 3, 14-18, Peter's central idea that he is going to be arguing for this morning that I want us to see is that because Christ will return soon, we must exert grace-fueled effort to be steadfast and grow in godliness. Because Christ will return soon, we must exert grace-fueled effort to be steadfast and grow in godliness. There are three points that we'll consider this morning. I'd like for us to consider first, be looking and eager. Be looking and eager. Look with me if you would at 2 Peter 3 and the very first part of verse 14. Peter says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. This is an opportunity for us to reflect back on what Peter has just said about what will take place at the return of Christ. This is the third time between verses 12, 13, and 14 where he uses the word look or waiting. And he uses this language to draw our attention to the magnitude of what will take place. This is something that you can't miss. Consider for a few minutes what will take place at the return of Christ. If we look back at verses 10-13, through 13, we notice the total destruction of the heavens and the earth as we know them. In verses 10-12, and 12, we read, the elements will melt with fervent heat, or the heavenly bodies will melt away. In verses 10-12, through 12, we read, the world as we know it will be burned up by fire. In verses 11-12, and 12, we read that everything, whether it's the heavens or the earth and everything that is done in the earth will be dissolved. Why all of this destruction? Why all of this cataclysmic events? Why must they take place? Because sin is that bad. Sin is that pervasive. Sin is that destructive. But not just because sin is that bad, because God's judgment is that severe. To bring about judgment, the Lord must peel back all that stands in the way. And this means removing the heavens or the sky. Burning up the bodies that are in those heavens or the sky. The sun, the moon, the stars. Destroying everything on this earth. Peter doesn't stop, though, at the horrors of sin and righteous judgment, but directs our attention to the righteousness and grace of God in providing something new. Look at the contrast between what we read in verse 10 and in verse 13. There is the welcoming of new heavens and a new earth. On the one hand, in verses 10-12, through there's the destruction of the heavens and the earth as we know them. But in verse 13, there is a new heavens and new earth brought in. We don't just believe that the earth will be destroyed, but that God will create something new. This place is a place where righteousness, God's righteousness will dwell. God will be the King of His people. This promise of the new heavens and the new earth is something that God Himself promises. Isaiah 65, verse 17 reads, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Revelation 21, verse 1 reads, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Well, these realities 
Two realities of, of on the one hand, judgment, and on the other hand, salvation, serve as the foundation for Peter's final exhortation as he concludes this letter. So, be looking and eager. Are you looking or waiting for Christ's return indifferently? Like, maybe a visit to the dentist? Or, are you looking for Christ's return eagerly? Like, the arrival of a precious friend or loved one? Beloved saints, when you're discouraged at work, look eagerly for the return of Christ. When you feel exhausted and reach the end of yourself, look eagerly for the return of Christ. When you experience the evils of the world on full display, look eagerly for the return of Christ. When the political landscape troubles you, look eagerly for the return of Christ. When anxiety plagues you in difficult situations, look eagerly for the return of Christ. Be looking and eager. The second thing that we see in our text, though, is to be diligent and consider. Be diligent and consider. And we see this in verses 14 through 16. Follow along as I read again 2 Peter 3 14 through 16. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. The reality of the Lord's return ought to impact how we live. And Peter gives two exhortations in these verses that we need to consider. The first exhortation we see there in verse 14, be diligent. Be diligent. This is the same verb that Peter used back in chapter 1, verse 10, when he said, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Recall that it has the idea of exerting great effort for something. In this case, we are to be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. To be found by Him in peace offers a stark contrast to the judgment and destruction those outside of Christ will face. Rather, those who have trusted in Christ will be found by Him in, or maybe some of your translations read, at peace. Consider what Paul says in Romans 5.1 when he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So brothers and sisters, we are to be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Being found by Him in peace doesn't happen by accident. It takes effort. Be diligent. But he also says that we are to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. This refers to purity. Not just sexual purity, but purity of life. This is language used of sacrifices made to God in the Old Testament. 
Living pure, holy lives, again, doesn't happen by accident. It takes effort. So Peter rightly encourages us to be diligent. In 1 Peter 1, Peter writes these words, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. If we look back at 2 Peter 2, verse 13, we see a sharp contrast between the false teachers in chapter 2 and those that Peter is exhorting here. Look back with me at 2 Peter 2, verse 13. Peter describes the false teachers. And notice how he describes them in verse 13. He talks about how they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. And then he says... They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Here, Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verse 14, we are to be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. So, Peter tells us how to live in light of the return of Christ But we might ask, why is it taking so long for Jesus to return? I mean, how much longer do we have to keep being diligent? Can you tell me what the ETA is for how much longer I'm going to have to keep being diligent? Peter calls us in verse 15 to consider something. Be diligent. That's the first exhortation. The second exhortation... Be diligent and consider. Consider that the long-suffering or the patience of our Lord is salvation. Again, this is contrasted against the the view of the scoffers earlier in chapter 3. Why is God taking His time coming back? Well, because He's slow to fulfill His promises. That's what the scoffers say. Because... He's forgotten about us. That's something the scoffers say. And what Peter opens our eyes to see as followers of Christ is no. God is not taking His time because He has fallen behind or is running late or has slowed down in His ability to carry out His promises. No. Peter is calling us to view the patience of God as salvation. Salvation we could understand in two ways. On the one hand, it is the result of repentance and it saves us from perishing in judgment. But on the other hand, ultimately, this is the result of the new heavens and the new earth. In other words, it's the promise of deliverance from judgment that is realized. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'll be saved from judgment. But when we are actually saved from that judgment, that will be salvation. If you've never trusted in Christ, could it be that He lingers in sending judgment so that you will turn to Him and be rescued on that day? Friend, come to Jesus. If you have never trusted in Him for salvation, confess your sin and trust in Him for salvation today and you will be rescued from the judgment to come. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. 
But this is not just Peter's words, because Peter goes on to, to say basically, Paul and I agree on this. This is not just my thoughts or my opinion. Paul says the same thing. This testimony regarding the delay of the Lord's return as salvation is a common theme that we could trace all throughout not just Peter's letters, but Paul's letters in the New Testament. Peter's point in this is that the view he is arguing for is not unique to him. It is true of those who have been inspired by God to write these things. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. But there's there's more for us to consider in verse 16. As As we read verse 16... It is comforting that Peter, a fellow apostle, acknowledges there are things Paul writes that are hard to understand. This is something I know Pastor Harris can identify with. I can identify with. You can identify with. You read through some of Paul's letters and not everything is readily apparent. Don't feel discouraged because Peter identifies with you. He says, Peter himself says that Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. But in a sense, when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, this is like the pot calling the kettle black. Because Peter, you have said some things that are indeed hard to understand. There have been some things that you have written that have made me scratch my head and sit back in my chair and think to myself, Peter, what in the world are you talking about here? This is an important thing for us to understand about Scripture, that while Scripture is clear and sufficient, that doesn't always mean it is easy to read. So brother and sister, be encouraged to put the time into studying God's Word deeply. Another thing that we see in verse 16 as we read this passage, did you catch what Peter said at the end of verse 16? He includes, he views Paul's writings as Scripture. He includes Paul's writings along with the rest of the Scriptures as materials that the untaught and unstable twist. As they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So Peter here is including Paul's body of writing as God's Word. What a phenomenal thing for us to understand that that when we read Paul's letters, there is this validation that Peter as a fellow apostle, he recognized Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit even in his day. One other thing for us to notice in verse 16 is the nature of those who are twisting God's Word. What kind of people twist and pervert God's Word? We learn that they are untaught and unstable. One author notes this about these people. It is more than saying, I do not understand this, or even than saying, I do not like this, but rather, these terms imply an active abuse of a text. A twisting of its meaning to fit one's own purposes. One example that we see over and over again in the New Testament are 
a group of people we might call antinomians. That, are, that is those who are against law. And, and so they see what Christ has done and they see the liberation and the freedom that He secured. They say, eh, we don't need to follow any rules or regulations anymore because Christ is all and He set us free from all of that stuff. And what they're doing, what, what Paul and Peter repeatedly have to do is bring them back and say, no, 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 no. You are twisting and perverting what the truth is. So Peter, Paul, they both write about the fact that there will be those who twist and pervert Scripture. They do this to their own destruction. So brothers and sisters, we must be diligent and consider. How are you preparing for the return of Christ? Is your life in cruise mode or, or autopilot? Is your daily walk characterized by lackadaisical behavior that lacks effort and godliness? If it is, Peter has an exhortation for you. Be diligent so that you may be saved in the end. Or, maybe your life is the exact opposite of cruise mode and autopilot. Maybe it's so busy and life is so crazy that you also aren't living your life exerting effort toward holy conduct and godliness. Peter's exhortation to you is simple. Be mindful and be diligent. Take time for God's Word. Make time to exert effort in growing in godliness. Does the delay of Christ's return spur you to evangelize others? Are you seeking opportunities to share Christ with your coworkers, family members, or friends? With Thanksgiving approaching, how could you intentionally share Christ with someone over the holiday? Another thing for us to consider from these verses, what is your posture with Scripture? Do you approach it looking to justify what you want it to say, or do you come to it wanting to find out what it says? When you read a book about the Bible, are you careful to discern if the author is twisting Scripture to make it say what he or she wants it to say? Or do you just read anything anybody has to write and receive it as truth? Peter's encouragement for us is to be diligent and to consider and to understand that there will be those who will seek to twist and pervert what is true in God's Word. Parents, are you on the lookout for resources where God's Word might be twisted and how it's presented to your kids? For all of us, in a day when everyone quotes Scripture, whether it's a governor, whether it's a president, whether it's a sports star, do you stand out at work as someone who doesn't just know the talk, but walks the walk? It's easy to say Scripture. It's difficult to live Scripture. And so Peter encourages us to be diligent and consider. Thirdly, he encourages us to beware, but grow. Beware, but grow. We see this in verses 17 and 18. Direct your attention to 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. It reads, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, 
Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Peter concludes his last letter with these poignant words. They are filled with concern for his audience, but also hope in God. Because God is the one who will preserve His people. He is the one who deserves the glory now and forever. Verse 17 opens with the fact that the people Peter is writing to already know the truth. They know that false teachers will be coming. They know that people will be scoffing at God's Word. How do they know that? Because Peter has just written to them and told them that. Since you know this beforehand... But they also know promises that God has made. They also know that the scoffers are not just going to be content to to passively sit back and sit in their scoffingness. They're going to seek to take people who are believing the truth and lead them astray. you You and I, by extension, know the truth. We are Peter's audience. And since we know the truth, since we know this beforehand, Peter concludes with two final exhortations. Beware of those who will twist and pervert the Scriptures. This command to beware, or some translations have take care, indicates that Peter wants us to be on our guard. He wants us to be vigilant. This is significant for several reasons. First, it is a warning that we keep a close watch on ourselves. Lest you fall from your own steadfastness or your own stability. This goes back to the whole reason why Peter wrote 2 Peter. He wrote 2 Peter to establish us in the truth of God's Word and to compel us to live lives governed by God's Word. Peter is concerned that we would be led away with the error of the wicked. We are sheep. We are easily manipulated. He is concerned that we would be led away with the error of the wicked. That is, those who are scoffing, those who are promoting false teaching, and ultimately those who twist and pervert Scripture. And Peter wants to guard us from being led away. From apostatizing and and losing our stability or our steadfastness. But Peter doesn't end the letter with the negative exhortation. He puts it another way. He exhorts us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We read that in verse 18. Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow. This command to grow provides the positive component of the exhortation. Don't just beware... Don't just stand still and seek to defend against those who are going to seek to lead you astray. No, Peter wants you and I to not be content with where we are at spiritually, but continue deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How should we do that? And here in his conclusion, Peter points us back to the beginning of the letter for instruction. Look with me back, if you would, at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 2. Peter prays for something to be multiplied to them. He prays for grace and peace to be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, he talks about how his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So how are we to do this? He tells us in first or in second Peter 1 verses 5 through 8, for this very reason, giving all diligence. There's the same word that we saw earlier in these verses. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." So we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is easy to stand up here and say. This is difficult to do Monday through Friday. Which is why Peter encourages us to be diligent. This is not something that will accidentally happen in your life. This is something that requires planning. This is something that requires intentionality. This is something that requires effort. But it is not effort that comes from ourselves. It is effort that is fueled by the grace that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. So, brother and sister in Christ, what are you doing with the truth of God's Word? Are you exerting effort to grow in it? Saints, are you deepening your understanding of God's Word? Are you eager to learn more about God's Word? Do you take advantage of gathering with the church to learn more about God and His Word? Do you make the time to get here at 9.30 on Sunday mornings so that you can go to Sunday school and learn more about God's Word? Do you make time in your schedule to come Wednesday night at 7 o'clock so that you can learn, so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of God? When there are opportunities for men's or ladies' Bible studies, do you make it a priority to go to those times so that you might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are you keeping a close watch on your life and beliefs to guard against false teaching leading you astray? How careful are you with what you intake spiritually? How careful are you with what influences how you view God? 
But again, Peter doesn't stop at grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter's final words are a doxology. This doxology draws our attention back to Jesus Christ. That is where our focus must be. Our focus is not on doing better and trying harder. Our focus is on Christ because He is what it is all about. And Peter draws our attention and says, to Him be the glory both now and forever. The One who has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. The One who is coming back again to judge and to preserve and save those who have trusted in Him for salvation. To Him be the glory. To Him who is not just part of God, who is Himself God, who is our Lord, who is our Savior. To Him be the glory. Not just now. Not just in this present age. But forever. How can Peter write with certainty that God will receive the glory now and forever? Because He's God. He wins. He's coming back. His return is certain. So to Him be the glory both now and forever. Saints, let's affirm this doxology. To Him be the glory both now and forever while we pray for God's kingdom to come. And we echo the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the hope, the encouragement, the eagerness, the excitement that You give us because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank You that He is not dead. He is alive. Thank You that He is not waiting to be King. He is now seated at Your right hand. Thank You that He is not slack, but that He is long-suffering and patient. Oh, Holy Spirit, would You use these words in our life, in our lives, to make us compelled to exert effort in our walk with You. Would You help the economy of our mind to shift so that we would value You and Your Word and Your church. Those things that are eternal. We pray all of this so that You would be glorified both now and forever. Amen.